Please join me in the confession of sin as you find it on page 120. Dearly beloved, we've come together in the presence of God, our Heavenly Father, to render thanks for the, the great benefits that we have received at his hand, to set forth his most worthy praise, to hear his holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things that are necessary for our life and salvation. Oh, come, let us worship him. Let us kneel and bow down before him. Let us confess our sins with penitent hearts and obtain forgiveness by his infinite grace and mercy. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed the devices and desires of our hearts. We have offended against your holy law. We have done those things which we should not have done and we have not done those things which we should have done. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Spare us and restore us according to the promises you have declared to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. For his sake, grant that we may live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Lift up your hearts with joy. The Almighty and merciful Lord has granted us pardon and forgiveness of all of our sin grace for true repentance and amendment of life, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise.
The scripture lesson for our meditation this evening is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good deeds, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray now that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Many pastors will tell you that one of the things they hate to have people ask them on a plane is, so what do you do for a living? And uh, sometimes it comes deep into the conversation when certain other things have been expressed, not always so godly, and uh, now you know it's going to embarrass the person. There's a uh, pastor in Australia by the name of John Kleinig, who has become a very good writer and speaker. He often flies, uh, a Lutheran pastor, he often flies from Australia over here to the United States probably once a year to speak at various conferences. And uh, he wrote about a similar situation that, in a devotion book that he has that I, I thought was very interesting. He's talking about sitting next to this man who worked for the CIA. He said, we'd been in the air a long time before he finally asked, what he, asked me what I did for a living. This, I have discovered, is a tricky question for me to answer if I want to keep the conversation going. In most cases, the conversation ends in an uneasy embarrassment as soon as people find out that I'm a pastor. So rather mischievously, I told him that I was a secret agent. As soon as he heard that, he became eagerly interested in me. For the rest of the flight, he plied me with questions, all of which I answered truthfully, apart from one, I refused to tell him for whom I worked. He goes on, since that day, the notion of Christians as secret agents has remained with me as a good description of our vocation. We are in every way citizens of this world with earthly homes and earthly jobs and earthly identities. We lead the same ordinary lives with the same ordinary interests, doing similar ordinary work as the people around us. Yet, at the same time, we are citizens of heaven, extraordinary people, aliens, working to promote God's gracious rule here on earth. Behind the front of our ordinary lives, we work as secret agents of the heavenly king. We don't work as secret, secret enemies of humanity, but as its unnoticed benefactors. I love that, that we are the unnoticed benefactors to society as believers in Christ in a variety of ways. Secret agent, thinking of yourself as a believer, as a secret agent. St. Peter refers to us in this world, in our text, as sojourners and pilgrims. And following Christ as our Savior uh, causes us to stand out as aliens in this world. In the verses right before the text I just read to you, we have these very familiar phrases where Peter is describing the Holy Christian Church. You're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, just like Aaron's sons and the Levitical priests that were singled out for service. You are a holy nation, that means to be set apart, sanctified by God, given the holy righteous record of Christ as your own. Luther said the church is so hidden that even the Christian doesn't see his own holiness. Paul sa or Peter says, he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
All of these are activities of God, the one who's selected us, chosen us, pulled us out of darkness, given us the gift of faith. Such a beautiful, beautiful blessing. And demonstrated to us in the wonderful gift of baptism. So Christ's church has a different focus in this life. Those who belong to him have a different perspective in this life. Years ago, I was serving a church in Minneapolis that had a large school, and, and we had a sort of kindergarten roundup, and we had invited people from the neighborhoods to come, people who weren't members of the church, to come in, uh, to an open house to see what the school was like. And I got up to speak for about five minutes and talked about that the purpose of our Christian day school ultimately was heaven, and that that's really what our focus was. And everything else had to do with how we as Christians go through this life and all the training they'll be getting, but really the final focus is heaven. And I remember this one parent came up to me and was kind of upset about that. And he said, you people at this church sure seem to be awfully focused on heaven. And didn't say it as a compliment. <laughs> said it as something that uh, was kind of a put down. But that's really what Christianity is ultimately all about. It's what the means of grace are all about. Getting us to that eternal home that our Savior has come to win for us. And that gives us a different, a different way of looking at the world and at your life, at your vocations, your relationships with people, a different way of looking at your money, maybe a different way of looking at your time and the things that are going to matter or be important to you. But that difference that is, has been created in us by God from the unbelieving world may also make us a target. Sometimes it puts us on display in front of a world that despises and mocks Christ. In a congregation I was serving, there was an older man who uh, back in the 1960s, during the Vietnam era, had served in the military. And he said when he first got to basic training and was assigned his, his bunk and everything in this big room full of soldiers, that at night, once the lights went out, he would pull out a little flashlight and pull out his Bible and hide under his blanket and he would read his Bible. And some of the other soldiers discovered this one night and started making fun of him. And a few days later, apparently had told his commander and his sergeant, his commander, uh, would ridicule him openly in front of the other soldiers for being such a goody two-shoes and such a, such a Christian and so on. And went after him very severely, sometimes picking on him and making him even have to do additional push-ups and things like that. And I remember he brought that up during a Bible study about this very text, about how sometimes Christians can get sort of singled out in this world. So St. Peter is giving us a loving warning about bearing this faith, carrying this faith in the world. And first of all, he tells us to stay away from the things that might want to destroy this faith itself. Listen to what he says. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, he's talking about the fact that temptation to sin is not just about sin. When the devil, or when our own sinful flesh, tempts us to do things that are contrary to God's will, the issue is not just to get us to sin. The real issue behind it is to get us comfortable with our sin, to like our sin, and to want to continue in it. Because there's a, a spiritual decay that comes with that that ultimately robs us of our faith. The devil could care less if you tell a lie. 
The devil could care less if you uh, struggle with, with certain sins and things that maybe happen and then they're done in three minutes. But what he really wants is to suck the faith out of your heart. That's what he wants. He wants to kill your faith. And if he can do that by getting you to like a particular temptation or embrace a certain sin and think that you can kind of play with that and hold on to it, that's the real danger. So that's what Peter is talking about here. He also tells us that we should be careful how we live among the citizens of the world because they're paying attention. They're watching us. The unbelieving world just loves to see when Christians mess up, when we, don't, when we don't maybe always follow things the way we should. Listen to what he writes. Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that means unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. An old commentator by the name of Paul Kretzmann says it this way. Christians should conduct themselves in all their dealings before men, should live in the very midst of the heathen, that their life would be a testimony for them in favor of the gospel. God doesn't tell us to go run off into a cave to live out our faith. He wants it to be done right in the middle of the unbelieving world. I've always liked the fact that there used to be maps in the back of our phone books here in Mankato. I don't know if they still have them. I never use a phone book anymore. There used to be a map of the city of Mankato. And if you could find the exact middle of that map and, and put a point on it, you'd be about a quarter inch away from Bethany's campus. And I've always loved the fact that right here in this, in this community, Bethany is right smack dab in the middle of everything. God doesn't want us to go hide. He wants us to live out our faith in the midst of the unbelieving world around us. So that he says, by your good works which they observe, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. So Peter is really telling you and me, don't forget who you truly are. Don't forget how God has baptized you and clothed you with the robe of Christ's righteousness. And don't forget what you have because of this Savior. On the night of Passover, there might have been some Egyptian homes that had lamb that night. There might have been some Egyptian homes that actually slaughtered a lamb and were cooking it that night. And it's possible that other than the blood on the door, if you went house by house among the Egyptians and the Israelites and just looked inside, you might not have seen a whole lot of difference. That's kind of the way it is right now in the world. Christians just appear to be kind of part of everything else that's going on in the culture for the for the most part but we know on that Passover night when the angel came over those homes and it was the blood on the doorposts of those homes that signaled the complete difference between God's protected children and those who would face destruction right now in our world it may not seem like it benefits us very much it may not seem like a big deal sometimes that you have been given this gift of faith in Christ. But just think on Judgment Day, what a difference that's going to make. Just think what a tremendous blessing it will be that God has marked your heart with the blood of the Lamb. Thanks be to God. Amen.